Let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. So we pray uh, that even now that you would help us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, most especially hearts that believe. Father, this is no light thing that we do on a Sunday to worship. We come to be renewed, refreshed, in some cases reborn. So Father, I pray that you would use your word now to have its perfect work in us that you might be glorified through it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John in chapter 15. John chapter 15, please. I want to read the first 17 verses, rather ambitious. John chapter 15, please. Hear the word of God. Jesus speaking. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, I'm sorry, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should Go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now, have you ever wondered how it is that Jesus could speak to his disciples on this particular night, how they could even bear what he was to say to them, how they could really take it all in. For them, this was really the night of nights, especially in their whole lives building up to this point. No other night could have been like this night where Jesus was going to lay out what was going to take place in the coming days and then in another sense for the rest of their lives. 
eternally so that he was with them. Um, how could they take in what was about to happen? I think always that we can understand what we've been told after the experience <laughs> better than before the experience. It's sort of like when you're trying to learn a new board game, you read the directions, it don't make sense. You play it for a while, then you read the directions. Oh, now I see. It's rather like freshman orientation. You get it your junior year. You say, oh, that's what they meant. Or premarital counseling, it comes about year five in marriage that you say, ha ha, I would have known that. They told it to me, but I didn't get it. Right? That's what, and so here they are. They can't bear everything. Jesus would tell them it will make what much more sense later as they reflect upon what happens and then what he said about that. What he said about that will inform then how they understand, how they process the experience. But, but it's before that. And so now he's trying to lay that out to him. And you get the sense as you read through these chapters of 13, 14, 15, 16, then his prayer in 17. When you read through these chapters that, that Jesus is being gentle. He's introducing various topics. And then it appears like he comes back to them. And then he introduces, and then he comes back. And then he introduces and comes back. It's rather like uh, walking up a spiral staircase. You see, the spiral staircases are always interesting. Because you really don't change location, you just get higher. You can mark an X on the floor and always be looking back and say, I'm still here, but hmm, different vantage point. And that's sort of what Jesus does here, you see. He introduces a topic and he leaves it for a while, but then he comes back to it. But when he comes back to it, some steps up. And then, and then, 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 then you go around again and, and he introduces it again and, and he some steps up. And then he introduces it again and he some steps up. And so each time he revisits, each, each time he, he speaks of it again, uh, you, you say, well, oh. And, and it's from a higher, if you will, vantage point. He starts out, you remember, in chapter 13, and he washes their feet and he says, this is, <clears throat> this is love, really. This is a, I want to show you an expression of love. And then he takes a couple of steps up and he says, love each other like that. And then in chapter 14, he begins by saying, he says, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also, you see, in me. And then he goes a couple of steps up and he says, I'm going away. Don't be troubled. And this is a couple of steps up. He says, but no, don't be troubled because you see, I'm going to a place and I'm going to prepare a place for you to come. We'll be together. And you know the way because I'm the way. Oh, all right. And then a few steps up. And he says, oh, by the way, even though I'm going... You're going to do the works that I do and greater works that I do because I'm going. And then he says, not only are you to believe in me, but you're to love me. And, and your love, you see, is, 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 is to be expressed consistent with obedience to me. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Then a few steps up. Oh, by the way, I'll ask the Father. He'll send the Spirit to you. He will help you. And, and even though I'm going away and I'm preparing a place for you, I'm sending him. And what he will do, you see, is he'll reflect me, you see. And he'll be with you because he'll be another one just like me. So when you hear him speak, it's like me speaking. When he's with you, it'll be like me with you, you see. When he works, it'll be just like me working. So, 
So you'll recognize him. Because he'd be like, like me. You see? And, and, and by the way, not only is he coming to dwell with you, but, but, but I am too. My father and I, we're going to come and we're going to live with you. And so you see this, this, this sort of spinning up and up and up and up and up. I'm going away. I'm preparing a place. I'll bring you to me. The Spirit's coming like me. I'm coming. My Father's coming. We'll live with you. Ah, He'll take from me and He'll teach you, call you remembrance, all the things that I've taught you, you see? And then He says, I want to give you my peace so not only should your heart not be troubled, because of all this you seek, I'll give you peace. And then at the very end of chapter 14, what He tells them, He says, okay, now it's the time. The time has come. Time to do battle. Because the evil one is upon us. And then he goes up a bit more. And he uses this expression. He says, I am the true vine. Now, this is the last in the Gospel of John of what we call the I am statements of Jesus. They're all profound. They all speak to who he is. And, 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 and no one really in all of history could say what Jesus said about himself, who he is, other than the very Son of God. Anybody else who had said this would just be ridiculous. And Jesus, you see, is saying, I'm the bread of life. You can't live without the nourishment that I am. He said, I'm the light of the world. You can't see the kingdom of God without the light that I am. He said, I'm the door. You can't enter the kingdom of God except you come through the door that I am. He said, I'm the good shepherd. You can't really live protected and cared for unless you're with me, the good shepherd that I am. Then he said to them, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, you, you die and stay dead in your sins. Unless you know me, the one who really is. Resurrection who is life. And in fact, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You'll stay lost unless you know the way that I am. You're, you'll be futile in your minds and all of your thinking unless you know the truth that I am. And, 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 and you'll, you'll be dead in life without the life that I am. And now he comes to them and says, listen, I'm the true vine. Apart from me. You can do nothing. If you're not attached to me, you can't do anything at all. Now, we mustn't miss this, this, this image. And uh, we've already hinted at it. That's why I did the Isaiah 5 thing as we came to confession to kind of get this thought in your minds to be able to realize that, that in, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the emblem of Israel was a vine. She was to be the very vine of God. And from the vine, Israel, you see, Life was to be given really through her to all of the world. Light was to be given through her to all of the world. People were to see in Israel the redemptive purpose of God, the, the love of God, the truth of God, and, 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 and see the salvation of God through Israel. So God planted her, if you will, to be this vine, to be the light to the Gentile, the light to the world really. She used to produce fruit consistent with being the very people of God and didn't. Thus, no one could see at a point in time in Israel, God. Thus, 
Jesus comes and he says, I'm the true Israel. I'm the true vine. You're the branches, he says to his disciples and us through them. You're the branches to be attached to me. And you are to bear fruit. You realize, going up and up and up on this staircase, what he's saying. Saying, this is the new covenant. This is, this is, this is, I'm it. And all who are in me, you see, who abide in me, as he put it. You, you're, the, you're the branches. You're the ones through whom the redemptive purposes of God will be known. You're the one through whom the light will shine. You're the one through whom the world will know that the kingdom of God has come. I'm the vine. You are indeed the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing but attach to me. Now, when, when Jesus lays all of this out, of course, uh, he, 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 he moves with this metaphor, this image. He said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So we get the picture of this vine, just like in the old covenant, Israel, the vine, God being the one who tended, but, but, but Israel would have none of that. And so, so now he said, I'm the true vine. My, my father, the vine dresser, um, you're the branches, he'll come on to say. But it makes sense to us then as he, as he pushes out this metaphor, he says, thus every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Then in verse 6, he says, if anyone uh, does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We say, yes, of course, vines exist to produce fruit. Fruit comes off the branches. And so if a branch isn't producing fruit, then it's, 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 it's not a good branch. And so you cut it off, you throw it away, and you can't really do anything with it. You can't build a house with a vine, a branch from a vine. And so, so you, you throw it away, burn it. You get the image of that. You know what that means. Now, it's also true that this expression has troubled Christians forever. The reason that it's troubled Christians forever is that if you read through the scripture, most especially the New Testament, you come to the conclusion, or I would encourage you to come to the conclusion, that believers, real believers in Jesus, are secure in him. That is, they won't be cut off and burned because they believe in him, because they're, they belong to him. They're secure in him. If you've eaten from the bread of life, if you've seen from the light of the world, if you've entered through the door, if you're under the good shepherd, then he'll protect you and keep you. And, and, and no one, as Jesus put it actually, can, will be able to snatch you out of his hand. And so we read this, and when he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away uh, and then ultimately burns. And that whole burning image gives us a sense of hell. So it troubles us. And we say, could that really be what Jesus is saying? And I would say, no, it's not what he's saying. Here's why. Two reasons. One, always in Scripture, it's just a rule of thumb, always in Scripture, watch your metaphors because they are figures of speech. And so uh, when someone is using, whether it's a prophet or whether it's Jesus, whether it's an apostle, using a figure of speech. He's going with the figure of speech. Go with him on the figure of speech. Allow it to be that. And, and so figures of speech uh, don't tell us everything precisely. That's why they're called 
figures of speech. <laughs> That's what they do. It's like this, like that. So that's the first reason. Just always be cautious about interpreting a figure of speech. But secondly, every good Israelite listening to Jesus at this point in time would know what he means. Because you see, this was Jesus' very point to the religious leaders of the day. In a sense, he says, you think you're in just because you're Israelites, but you're not because you do not believe, and so you will be cut off. In fact, the very image of circumcision of the Old Covenant was that little boys were circumcised. That was a sign of the covenant. And the meaning of that circumcision was this, that if you believe with the faith of Abraham, then you'll be cleansed. But if you do not, you'll be cut off. In fact, baptism means quite the same. Someone who's baptized, if you believe, they baptize our little kids, and you believe, if you believe, then you're cleansed. If you do not, you'll be drowned. That's the image of it. It's both blessing and curse of the covenant. It's a sign of that, you see. And they knew that. In fact, the parable that I read to you earlier from Matthew chapter 21 was precisely this point, precisely this point to um, religious leaders, to, to Israel, that just because you're born into the uh, community of Israel doesn't mean that you'll be saved. Jesus told this parable, I think you remember it, about the tenants and, and the vineyard again, this vineyard motif. Finally, the sun comes, the air comes, Jesus comes, and they kill him. So verse 43, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. See, that's the very point of it. And that's the very point here. He says, listen, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, yes, he says, in me, it's the metaphor, follows it, will be cut off. They go, oh yeah, just like that. Just like he's been saying all along. And then what he does say, and this will be picked up by all those who are real believers in him. He says that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, you know, my first thought is, couldn't you just leave us alone? I mean, we're doing what we're supposed to do here. We're bearing fruit. That's what branches out of vines do. So clearly we're attached. Clearly things are working. We've got fruit. Hey, I'm a happy guy. Why aren't you, God? And he says, well... Because I wanted to bear more fruit. And then finally in verse 5, he says that we bear much fruit. And so, so we get the sense, all right, we're supposed to be growing in this. And, and the fruit is supposed to be multiplying both in us and among us. And, and so, again, the metaphor, we get it. We understand. We, we know what he's getting at here when he says that the, that the gardener is going to prune so that, uh, so that more fruit is produced. I, I don't like quite the ring of it. Because it sounds painful. And often it is. The good news is, I keep traveling up the stairs, this vine dresser, this gardener is a loving father who does the pruning so that he'll be glorified 
and will ultimately be filled with joy. So all that's coming. But, but we read here, it says that, uh, that every branch that does bear fruit, uh, um, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed at master gardeners when I watch them prune. Amateurs never prune enough. That's what they tell me. Because we're always afraid we're going to cut too much off. And, and when you prune, really prune, it, it, sometimes you take the best off. What looks the best? And you go, I can't take that off. And they say, no, 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 take that off. Because if you don't, it won't produce more next time. But you take that off. And sometimes they prune the plant back to where the plant is completely unrecognizable. And I, I think about that and I go, I think I know how that feels. Right? I think and that's Jesus' point. This is what the Father does, you see. He comes and he prunes us. Sometimes he takes off what we think is our best quality. It's what everybody notices. It's the thing that everybody compliments us on. It's that very thing. And so he takes that off. And he prunes that. We say, wait a minute, you can't have that. That's like me. And then he keeps cutting back. And sometimes we don't even know ourselves. It's like we're unrecognizable. prunes us. Prunes us by providential circumstances. He brings certain things into our lives, takes certain things from our lives. In the midst of that, we understand that how this is the very pruning work of God. The author of Hebrews lays it out quite explicitly in a familiar passage in Hebrews chapter 12, middle of verse 5. My son, he writes, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now, why do you think the author of Hebrews pulls that out of the Old Testament text to quote? Why do you think he puts it there? It's because we do regard it lightly. He says, don't. This is really important what God is doing. Don't be weary when being pruned, I would put, if we want to continue Jesus' metaphor. Don't be weary. We get weary. We get discouraged. We get disappointed. We consider ourselves. We look at ourselves and we say, I don't. I don't see me anymore. No, don't, don't be weary. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, you see. That's the difference between the gardener and the father. The gardener can do a great job without loving the vine. He, can, he just knows what to do and he just does it. It's his job. He can be a hired hand. He can do it. Now the father, you see, when the father prunes, it's always... Because he loves, he chastises every son whom he receives. He prunes the fruitful branches, his own, you see. If they're not bearing fruit, well, that must not belong to me. But when fruit comes, you see, oh, yeah, this is one who belongs to me. I'll prune it. Verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. Now, I think we endure discipline. But he said, no, 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 no. It's for the sake of the discipline. Keep on persevering. Why? Because this discipline is good for you. This pruning is good for you. So endure it. It's the sake of, allow the pruning to take, to take, to take its course in your life. 
It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It's a necessary word in the midst of difficulty, isn't it? But he's not treating us like enemies, those he hates. He's actually treating us like his own sons. For what son is there whom the father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. If he doesn't prune, you don't belong to him. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Or might I say parenthetically, we should have. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that is the father, the gardener, the vine dresser, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So we get a picture of this fruit, aren't we? That we might share in his holiness. He's lopping off all that is unholy, all that's inconsistent with him, all that wouldn't be recognizable as his. He lops it off, he cuts it off, you see. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, right? If a vine could talk during pruning season, it would say, ouch. It would say, I don't like this. I'd rather he didn't do this, right? We can talk during pruning, and that's what we often say. So for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. You see, that's it, isn't it? That's this fruit that's to come. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit that says that God's at work here. The fruit that says this is what it means. This is what it looks like to belong really to God. That fruit. So Jesus goes on verse 4. And he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, be, may be full. This abiding, we think of it, we speak of it as Christians all the time. What does it really mean? Is what Jesus really saying? He's already said he's going to come and be with us, make his home in us. Abiding comes from abode, a home, a place, to stay, to remain, to be, to live. So he's saying, I'm living in you. Live in me. Live from me. Live in the midst of me. Make your life be like one who is living in me. That's what he means by abiding, you see. We're to do that. And when he says this, he isn't saying... Now, you need to attach yourself to me because we're already there. He isn't telling us how to do that or that we must do that. But he's saying, since, since you're a vine, a branch in the vine, in me, you're united to me, then live like it. 
So the question is, how do we live then in Jesus? Maybe this will help. Let's say that you've just recently been married and you're about to spend your first Christmas with your in-laws. A question you should ask is, how do I abide in your parents' house during Christmas? And your spouse will say something like, well, do whatever my mom says. That'd be good counsel. That's how you can do it. Most of us have survived the first one that way. Do whatever my mom says. Or she might say, or he might say. Uh, We open our presents one at a time. And then we look at them and we ooh and ah. And we say thank you to the giver. And then we move on. That's how you do it. If you're going to abide there, if you're going to live there on Christmas morning, that's what that looks like. And by the way, no jammies. Get dressed. All right? Very embarrassing. You just hobble down in your jammies. No, no, no. Get dressed. Sweats are okay. But you know, right? You get a new job. You should be asking the question, how do I b- abide? How do I live in this new place? Or you do whatever your boss tells you. Or you take a coffee break at 10 because that's when it happens. Or you learn the culture. People move to Lawrence. They say, how do I abide in Lawrence, Kansas? And we say, Learn basketball, right? And learn how to say, I can't come because that's all the way across town, right? (laughs) I mean, those are just things you have to learn when you move to Lawrence. And that's how you live here. And if you don't say that, if you don't do that, then people don't think you really live here. And so that's what Jesus is after here, isn't it? He's saying, here's how you live in me. This is what it means to live in me live from me. And so he speaks of that here in this passage. He says, verse 7, if you abide in me, in my words abide in you. He says, what it means to really live in me is that you know my word. Not, Not some still small voice kind of word. Not some Jesus spoke to me yesterday afternoon too, but this word. He says, you've got to know this. If you're, if you're going to live in me, you've got to know who I am. And you've got to know what my purposes are in the world. And you've got to know what my purposes are for you, for people like you, for believers. And, and so you need to know my word. So, so, so really, to live in me, to live in my place, to remain here, this home, then, then what you need to do is, is you need to know me. And you need to know who I am. And you need to know my will. Not my secret will, like going to happen tomorrow, but you need to know that, that I'm calling people to love, and I'm calling people to serve, and I'm calling people to be gentle, and I'm calling people to be patient, and I'm calling people to be kind, and I'm calling people to be ca- compassionate, I'm calling people to be just. You need to know that. That's how you live. You want to live in me, and you know that. I'm telling people of their sin and, and their need for forgiveness and, and, and trust in me. And, and so you need to know that. And so if you're going to live in me, then, then my words have to live in you. You've got to know who I am. And so I'm thinking, how do I abide in Jesus? Well, I have to open this book early and often, right? I have to read, and I have to think, and I have to meditate, I have to study, I have to talk about it, I have to think about it. And these words have to permeate my whole life, you see. And that's how we abide in him. We don't do that. We're not abiding in that sense. Right? And then he goes on. And he says, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wow, not time for that? That should fill your soul to think about how you're loved. And then he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, I'm your model. I live in the love of the Father. Now you live in my love. How do you do that? Obey me. You see, the question of abiding isn't a mystical one. On its face, when I think about abiding in Jesus, I I think mystically, how how do you do that? It has to be some sort of ooky spooky kind of mystical abiding, you know? I need to walk around with this sixth sense, just knowing things, right? You want to live in me? Obey me. Just like at the first Christmas. Do whatever the mother-in-law says and you'll be fine. You'll live well in that house. Do whatever I say. Abiding isn't mystical, it's moral. Do what I say. That's how we abide, you see. And then fruit comes. What's the fruit? Well, the fruit comes because when we're abiding in his word, his, words, his word is, 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 is working in us. And when his word works in us, what it does is it produces this fruit. And this, this fruit is the very character of Christ. And the very character of Christ is love, which, by the way, is his command. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And then you see, Praying makes sense at that point. I'm going to take up, by the way, these prayer verses on Monday, Thursday. Because they're so extreme. But when his word abides in us, when we abide in his love, and we know what to pray for, see that because you see part of this fruit is answered prayer and the answered prayer is the fruit that comes because we're praying to love we're praying that people will see Christ through and in the midst of us we abide in him and then this great fruit of joy that comes When God is pruning, whether it be by providence or by way of his word pruning us, lopping off that which is inconsistent with who he is, lopping off which is tempting to us to keep on and so that we might glorify ourselves. When he's pruning us, you see, this fatherly discipline in us, it really is a response, it really is an act of his, of his love to us. And he does it because we're friends of his son, which is rather amazing. Jesus said, Greater love 
no one ever has for another, really, that he would give his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you're my friends. And, and here's how you know that you're my friends. You're my friends because I'm going to tell you, and I have told you, and I'll tell you again what I'm doing and what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you in on it. Psalm 25, 12. Psalmist writes, The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will make known to them his covenant. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing and saying. He said, I want you to reflect me in the world. I want you to love as I love. That's the great fruit from your life. That's the fruit, he would say, from my life. To love. So I've loved you. And I've told you why and how. On the night that he was betrayed, he was really laying this all out for them. He took bread on that night and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way. The scripture said he took the cup. And after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant, you see. He says, you're my friends. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know this. I'll show this to you. So he does. And he's, the apostle says, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. That is, we continue then to make it known. How do we make it known? We declare it certainly, but also by this fruit, this fruit of love that we have for one another. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. He says, if you love one another, then you'll prove to be my disciples. People will see it, you see. We see it even then in Jesus, who's the vine. We're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Attached to him. We bear fruit. So he says to us, stay there. Live there. In the midst of the pruning, in the midst of the growth, in the midst of the pruning, in the midst of the growth, in the midst of the pruning, in the midst of the growth, stay there. You'll see a harvest. A harvest of righteousness, a harvest of holiness. We often say that when God is pruning, He's more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. That's partially true. Here's what He's really concerned about He's concerned about our joy, He's concerned that we will have joy. In holiness. Because he knows that's the only joy. So don't ever think in times of pruning. That God doesn't want you to be happy or joyful or however you want to put it. He does. He just knows. 
that there is no joy without fruit. So he wants you to be filled with joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray you'd take this bread, this juice. You'd set it apart that we would know the love of Christ. That we know that we're his friends because he's made known to us his covenant. Only by listing it out, by, or by sending a spirit to overcome all of our unbelief and to enable us to receive it. Father, in this day, we acknowledge you to be the vine dresser, Jesus, the vine. We know ourselves to be branches who are to bear fruits. We know, Father, that you will lovingly prune us. We know your purpose is a good crop. We, abiding in Jesus, knowing your good purpose, <clears throat> lay ourselves before you. Have your way with us by way of your word and spirit that we may bear fruit. Now I pray that you would take this bread, this juice, set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of Jesus. We in him, he in us. That he's as close to us as this bread and juice is. And Father, that you would then enable us to live in him all the days of our lives. And this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.